Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Well, you should have. Hi, I'm Burl Bear. Last time I looked, I was still Burl Bear. That's Mike C.G. Boyer. Our producer is Magic Matt Allen. The program, True Crime Uncensored. Fred Wilson, for those of you who don't know, is one of the most famous humans on the planet. I don't know how you managed to, to cram so many exciting adventures into one disastrous life, but you certainly managed to. You've worked in the White House providing security for the President of the United States, provided security for OPEC. You got some big fancy-ass medal from the Saudi Arabians because some terrorist blew up one of their planes and you got the guy. That made you famous, right? And uh, Everything. You make me famous. Knowing you. What? That's usually a sign of trouble, knowing you. That's nothing but trouble, knowing me. And uh, you saved Groucho Marx's life. We'll get into that. Hmm. That's but a, <clears throat> but uh, this is Mark over in the corner here. That's Mark in the out. corner. Um, you were a police officer in New Jersey. Yes. And what prompted your decision to, to wander out to the West Coast where all the nuts live? Two dollars and fifty cents an hour. Now, uh, you were around for the Rodney King and uh, also the L.A. riots. And that guy you were... Well, I was, Go ahead. I was hired by LAPD to do the investigation for the police department, for the police officers. And then, when you were done with that, you get a phone call from uh, the Center for Constitutional Law and Justice, and what do they want with you? They wanted me to defend the people who were rioting and were arrested for rioting on the Rodney King riot. Yeah, it was a Damon Football Williams who allegedly hit uh, Reginald Denny in the head with a brick. No, he didn't hit him with a brick. He hit him with a fire extinguisher. Ouch. That's worse. I, I think I was actually watching when that happened. They had it on TV. Or at least they yeah, I think I saw it also. So uh, you go in and you get hired by the Center for Constitutional Law and Justice. But this is in your new book, Secrets of a Hollywood Private Eye. It's one of the most fascinating and least known stories about a giant scam in L.A., and no one's more qualified to tell the story than you, Fred. What happened when you went in to the Center for Constitutional Law and Justice? Well, the first person I met was Reginald Denny. Oh, uh, no, it was uh, Dennis Palomari. And he introduced himself as one of the staff attorneys. And he explained to me what they were doing and why they had contacted me. And the reason was that I was successful in getting the police officers off on the Rodney King riot. And they wanted to hire me to defend their defendants who were the people who committed the crimes at the uh, Rodney King riot. And uh, did you meet the guy who ran the joint? Yeah, I sure did. And this Clint is, Sebastian. And what was your impression overweight, of Fred? Overweight, not well-dressed, <coughs> um, who claims he was an attorney and a CIA agent and um, a spy for other countries. Oh. I've been doing this for probably 40 years or so. I've never once met a CIA agent 
who told me they were a CIA agent. <laughs> yes, they usually don't do that. No, no. I mean, what's the use of being a CIA agent if you tell everyone? <laughs> it's useless. It's like, hi, I'm James Bond, super spy. <laughs> right. So you you thought maybe there was something amiss with this uh, Mr. Sebastian? Yes. I said to him, you know, all the years that I've met CIA agents, every card they've ever handed me said radio operator. Do you have a card that says radio operator? Well, no, I don't carry my cards around with me. Why wouldn't you? I have my center card. I said, I'm not interested in that. Show me some credentials or something that you were a CIA agent. And he had nothing. And he just went on telling me about his perils and all he's been through and all the different countries he's worked in, which I knew the head of security in Venezuela. Um, and he said that he worked for Venezuela, and I said, specifically, who did you work for? And he gives me some phony name like Roger Gonzalez or something. <laughs> and I knew who the director of security was, who was handling the security for Venezuela, and I knew he was lying. So everything that came out of his mouth was a lie. Well, so what do you do in a situation like that, when here you have... This new supposedly uh, non-profit public service, kind of a cross between the ACLU and the Innocence Project or something, with a staff of attorneys. And here's this guy that's obviously full of crap. I speak with Byron. I invite him to my home for dinner. Yeah. And he comes over and I said, Dennis, I've never seen your bar card. And he hands me his bar card, and I made a copy of it, just to make sure he was really, you know, entertaining. And he goes on to tell me all his ideas about life and what he wants to do. And one of the things he wanted to do was start a colony on Mars. <laughs> yeah. I, I said, do you want to start a legal practice here, or just... <laughs> A, a colony. <laughs> and he said, no, I'd probably end up starting a legal practice there. But I said, who are the judges? Who Who's in the courts there? I said, you know, I've seen pictures of Mars. I haven't seen one courtroom. And he, he didn't know what to say. He, he was beyond himself. So in the middle of the trial... I don't know if you remember this or not. Fred walks into the trial and he says, I'm firing Dennis Palomare. I'm taking over the case. Oh, really? Yes. He finished up the summation of the case and he wasn't an attorney. <laughs> this sounds crazy. I know. But this isn't the first time he's done this. He's done this a lot. He's taken people's houses to uh, defend them in court and then stole the house after he didn't defend them. It goes on and on. This guy was a heavyweight criminal or just a big-time criminal. 
Well, did you? Uh, what action did you take to try to rectify any of this? Well, after it was all done, I have a friend who's with the FBI, and I let him know about an incident that occurred in Atlanta, where he was caught selling the defense information. He was selling. That was. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry. The prosecution, he was selling information. In other words, he was giving up the case for money. He was trying to give up the case for money. And it never happened. And I just let a friend of mine know who was an FBI agent. And they went out and picked him up. You went to and jail. the last I heard, he was in a line of federal penitentiary. Now, he always claimed that he was sent to do this to make things even worse in L.A. so that the uh, politicians running on a tough-on-crime platform would win the election. Well, he did go to prison. The tragic thing was, you know, that when they closed down the Center for Constitutional Law and Justice, there was an attorney, a woman whose name escapes me at the moment, who worked very, very hard to take care of all the people that they had signed up. To oh, defend. yeah, she was an Iranian woman. And she was a wonderful woman, and she worked very, very hard. Yeah, she was trying to close cases that were still open by Fred. Yeah. She was actually out there in court. Yeah. And she was a real attorney. Yes, and she wound up getting in trouble for doing that. Yeah. Which I, I didn't think was right at all. She got She deserved a medal or something. I know. She took care of all the poor people that were losing their houses, getting them back, and doing all wonderful things, and they arrest her. That's crazy. I mean, just wonder how, how corrupt things are. You know, I think I asked oh. you, you know, this book that uh, Frank Gerardo and I are currently researching, and I think it was you I asked, I said, how common is it in cases where there's a public defender and a prosecutor for them to say, tell you what, you let me have this one, I'll let you have the next one. <laughs> where they cut deals back and forth. Does that really happen? No, I don't know. You don't I know. can't say. <laughs> I have no idea. You have no idea. I think you'd have a very good idea. I think it does happen. So you, you figure. There you go figuring again. Yeah, I go figuring. <laughs> Just based on blatant evidence. <laughs> It's a sad story. It really is. I know. I know. I can recall one case, a friend of mine who was public defender uh, in, a, in the courtroom, and the, the judge calls him over to the bench and goes, what the hell do you think you're doing? He says, well, I'm giving my client best defense possible. He says, well, remember who writes your checks, because the judge and the public defender both paid out of the same account. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> He says, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. He says, well, you're doing too good a job. Yeah. Isn't that bizarre? I don't wonder. America has a court system, but I wouldn't exactly call it a justice system, tragically enough. Although juries can be can do the right thing, as our Mark Boyer can attest, having served on many of them for a free lunch. Yes. Well, no, lunch wasn't free. Lunch wasn't free. They don't give you a free lunch. <clears throat> no, no, no. They pay you. They pay you a pittance per day and ten cents a mile. Really? And a pat on the popo. A pat on the popo. 
Well, that's worth it then for me. Book. The name of the book is Secrets of a Hollywood Private Eye. From Wild Blue Press, it's available right now. Do you realize you are the number one best-selling book in the category of Brace Yourself? Biographies of movie directors. I, uh, I am number one. Number one bestseller in the category biographies of movie directors because you talk about a movie director in your book and it is the best-selling book on Amazon that mentions movie directors. And what director was this? I don't know. Oh. But it, it, today you are you have the number one bestseller arrow next to your book on Amazon. Really? Yeah, congratulations. Yeah. In, in the category biographies of movie directors. The Maybe you'll sell some. Maybe you'll sell some. It's possible. No, that, that's too much to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so you spent a good portion of your career doing polygraph examinations. Yes. What Can you make, think of a, a couple of examples that were the most surprising Maybe the most surprising? Surprise. Do you get any yeah. surprises doing polygraph examinations? Oh, someone famous did something wrong, and I caught him with the polygraph. How's that? Oh, that's pretty damn good. That was okay. exciting. I like that story. <laughs> you like the ending? I put it on myself. Yeah, that's good. I'm proud of you. Now, Groucho Marx. I always love Groucho Marx. Yeah, he's a nice man. Yeah. He was a nice man. You know, you know I, I know that from really having read your book and, and followed kind of the story about Groucho and his, his secretary, you know, does she actually marry him because she's screaming at you, I'm Mrs. Groucho Marx, you asshole, do what I say. Was she really married no. to him ever? No, no. She said that she would marry him at, uh, but there's no record. She I just, checked the records. But she was good at taking his money. Well, she was drugging him and taking his money. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting. You you tried to hire, or you did hire, some other uh, people to provide security at their house during a, a conservatorship hearing or whatever, because she claimed there were threats on Conservatorship. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, the guys that you hired couldn't stand her, and they'd quit the first day. So we're yeah, not they were LAPD. They said, we're not working for this bitch, and they leave. Right, the LAPD officers, I hired off duty to kind of babysitter and told the trial the next day, and they walked off. No, I, I had been there, and she had asked me to leave after that lunch I talk about in the book, which is Secrets of a Hollywood Private Eye, uh, in case I haven't mentioned it. <laughs> and uh, it's in the book. The whole best part is in the book. So you're outside walking around. I, I was hired by her, um, by his brother, to make sure that Roger was being treated properly. And she knew why, she knew why I was there. And she started with me like, we were at lunch one day, and she served me lunch, and we're sitting at the table, and she turns to him and says, can I use cursing? Yes, on? you can, yeah. Oh, okay. She says, 
stop your fucking drooling, you old man. And he's drooling out of his mouth because he had a stroke. And I said, why are you being so rude to him? And why are you being so cruel? She says, shut the fuck up. Who the hell are you? You're a drawn up, uh, a wasted uh, cop, and now a wasted PI, and you get the fuck out of here right now. So, I guess they didn't want me anymore. Yeah, I guess they didn't wait around for dessert. Yeah, I, I didn't want dessert. So, I left, and I was standing outside, and I was with somebody, um, Norman Pearl. And we're standing outside, and we looked in the storm drain. And in the storm drain, I see a, a package, like, from a grocery store bag. Yeah. And I look in there, and we grab the package, and what's in there was syringes and pills. I said, Jerome, and what the hell is this? We took it to the Beverly Hills Police Station. I think his name was Brooks, Sergeant Brooks. And he took it to the lab and he determined that it was uh, fentanyl in the bag and with the syringe. She was driving, oh no, it was uh, not fentanyl, it was Nebutal in the syringe. And uh, he determined that she was trying to kill him. Or, so make, or at, least replic- at least replicate a stroke, making him incapable of objecting to her transferring his money. Exactly. So I, I appeared the next day in court and went in as amicus curiae, which means a friend of the court. I'm not here on either side. And testified against her and told them what she had done and what I had seen while I was there. And I produced the evidence in the Beverly Hills Court, in Beverly Hills Police. And she lost custody, and Matt Perrin, who is a friend of the family, regained custody of uh, Groucho. I bet she was furious. Oh, she showed up at my house with a gang of people, and she calls the police. And she says, well, I was harassing her, and I'm carrying a gun, and to take me into custody because I'm carrying a gun and I'm harassing her. So the police come out. I was living in the marina at the time, and they shoot me down, and I'm not carrying a gun, and neither was Norman. And they said, what's going on here? And I explained it to them. They said, get the hell out of here to her. And this is his property. He has the right to tell you to get out. And she says, I'm not done with you yet. I said, we'll see you get to last laugh. And obviously, I'm still laughing and she's dead. (laughs) Yes, she is. Thinks she had about $4.30 in the bank when she died. Yeah, Bank of America went against her and got 300000 I think. Yeah. Took the money back that she stole from Groucho. One of my favorite stories is I did this big investigation on a gentleman who was an international traveler and a jeweler. And he had taken money for some people and claims he lost the diamonds. 
Then he claims, I do an investigation, and I found he had a ticket on Swiss Air from L.A. to Switzerland. He denied he ever left the country. We met at the attorney's office because he refused to pay me. So I went and met with him, his attorney, and we all sat together and we said, he said to me, you said that I went to Switzerland. I said, yes, you did. He says, I said, prove it that you didn't go to Switzerland. He hands me a passport. I look at the passport and I see how many pages there are. And normally there's 25 pages to a passport. Right. I looked at his passport and there's 24 pages. <laughs> In other words, he ripped a page out. Right. <laughs> what an idiot. So I said to him, I, I'd like to compare this passport to anybody else's passport. Does anybody have a passport here? And the attorney did have a passport. And I said, how many pages in your passport? He said, 25. I said, did you count this passport? He said, yes. I said, how many pages? He said, 24. <laughs> I said, do you think they make passports with some 24, some 25, maybe some 23? He said, no, I believe that they're all 25. I said, case closed. <laughs> Give me my money, and I'm out of here. And you picked up your three grand and walked out. Yep. He lost in uh, civil court. Then you've had situations where people hire you to track down someone who ripped them off, and they don't want to pay you. That's what really pisses me off, when you get clients like yeah. that. Well, that happens more often than you think. Was Why would they do that if they know I... Uh, investigated someone for them and got a return, why would you want to rip me off? I'm the last person you want to rip off. I just showed you what I can do. Yeah, and then you got to do it to them. <laughs> right. There's one where, uh, it's a, I think it's in the first part of the book where you were hired to do that, that some con man had ripped all these people off, millions of dollars, 12 million or something, and they want to find the money. And you, you go looking for the money. And they want you to tell them where the money is, but they haven't paid you. They have no intention of paying you. So I think you made a little side deal somewhere with the government. Tell me about that, remember? They wouldn't pay you, but when they got the money, it would be about $12 million, which they'd have to pay tax on. You reported it to the IRS. The IRS I got you 10%. Yeah, you got 10%. Right. <laughs> Which I love because ten percent right. of twelve million was more than what they had to pay you in the first place. Right, it was only like thirty-two thousand. <laughs> they would have been better off to pay you. Yeah, it would have been cheaper. <laughs> I love it. You just don't mess with Fred, see? No, you do, but you mess with the teeth to get the ball. It's not when you mess with the tail, you get the teeth, one of those two. I don't remember which. I'm old now. Tom Arnold's Love Letters. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr were at one point semi-happily semi married. She had a big hit TV show. He wrote for it, produced it or whatever. They got married. And at one time prior to the marriage, they had kind of broken up or whatever. And someone 
sold his rather explicit love letters to the National Enquirer. He was outraged, so was she, and they hire Fred Wilson, find out who sold my love letters to the National Enquirer. And you right. found out. I did. Who was it? Tom Mangles. <laughs> he hired you to find out that he sold the love letters himself. Yeah, when I walk in to his home with my polygraph, he says to me, you're not planning on using that on me, are you? I said, we'll see. He says, don't plan on it, because I'm not doing it. <laughs> I said, okay. So I did some polygraphs and didn't come up with anybody. And I said, Tom, it's your turn. Well, you uh, you went to the Inquirer on one of your many devious scams, as usual, although you had good relationships with the Inquirer because you'd worked for them for quite a while. Yeah, I worked for the tabloids. Never had a problem with the tabloids. And you uh, managed to find out everyone who had sold stories about Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold to the Inquirer. And right. You had their names, but there was one where there wasn't names. It was just... A social security number. Right. And guess who? And that social security number came back to Tom Arnold. Now, what I don't understand, and maybe someone smarter than all of us could explain this, why in the world would Tom Arnold hire you to find out who the SOB was that sold his love letters when he was the one who did it? He was assured by the inquirer that they'd never give it up. And I got him to give it up. <laughs> he wasn't counting on you being as good as you were. No, he didn't. He must have been very embarrassed when you revealed he that he was the one who sold his own love letters to the National Enquirer. Yeah, he was embarrassed. I bet Roseanne was pissed. Uh, Roseanne didn't believe me. She said, no, he didn't. Really? Yeah. Did they pay you for solving the case? Um, I was working for their attorney, and yes, they paid me for the case. Well, that's good. You solved the case and you got paid. Now, there is a an act of heroism that you performed in getting back some stolen kids that in an unpublished saint novel that I have written, that may perhaps still be published, it's kind of complicated how the Parabout has all rights to the saint, but I started writing the story before they acquired those rights. And I mentioned in the introduction of the novel that the part where this rescue takes place, and it takes place in an imaginary uh, South American or Central American country, as it actually did take place, and Fred Wolfson, is, you are in the novel as yourself, as one of the Saints' close personal friends. It is essentially exactly the same as how you did it in real life. And I mentioned this a real story that you actually did this so that you get full credit. You, uh, you almost in a hail of bullets, you managed to rescue these kids. Well, it, it's an interesting story prior to that, in that I was trying to find the daughter of this, of had me, hired me to find her daughter. And the grandmother had left and took the daughter with her. Hmm. The granddaughter was with the grandmother, but I had no idea where she was. I couldn't find her anywhere. So I found out it was the girl's birthday coming up. And 
I think an organ, you know, one of those playing organs that you plug in and you play it on? Yeah. And in there was a tracking device. So I be able to, as soon as she plugged it in, track where she was. Clear. And the organ over the ocean lost its signal. And we couldn't pick up where the thing was until they plugged in and in Mexico. I didn't know if the audit would be the same. And all of a sudden we got a signal from this little town somewhere in South America. So we moved down there and we talked to the head guy in charge of kidnappings and other crimes. He was a judge and he allowed us to go do what we did. And that was to get the girl. We got the girl. Um, her grandmother had Pumatia, uh, which is the local police, uh, shooting at us. And we got out of there just in the nick of time with the girl and flew back to L.A. You fly her back. That could, you could have wind up being shot in that one. Yeah, I could have. You've probably been in a few of those. I remember... Being shot? You could have, you probably could have been shot several times in your career. Yeah, I could have. But you weren't. No. Well, I was as a cop. You got shot as a cop? Yeah. Oh, they my. did a drive-by shooting at my house. Oh. I, I was working a lot of gangs in San Fernando, and this one gang member was after me, and he did a drive-by at my house. So he shot your my, house. Uh, my niece was hit. Interesting. Um, uh, I had my car stolen at at uh, the Ralphs there in San Fernando slash Silmar. Friend drive me to the the Northwest Division. All right, you know it's a couple. Of, it's not that far away. And there was right. a large cement wall. In the barrier door, and you yes. enter through the sides. There's no, you know, and then go in the door. So we parked right. out in front. I get out of the passenger side. He get the driver. My friend gets out of his side, and I'm turning to go in, and I hear pop, 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 and I turn around and I go, "Where the hell did my friend go?" I go out on the front. He's on the ground covering up. There are holes in his truck that weren't there before. Oops. Police uh, had picked up a couple of gang leaders, so the rest of the gang came by and shot at the police station. We just happened to be in the way. And that's why that wall is there, so that they can't shoot from the street. Right. And oh. there's holes in the door, uh, on the door, on each side of the door, and it's a, ma it's a miracle that he didn't get hit. Well, I had uh, a car that didn't belong to me stolen, but I don't know if you know this story, Las Vegas. I had rented a pristine 1992, I think, Buick Park Avenue. Oh, nice. Gorgeous. Looks showroom new. Yeah, I had a LeSabre. I, and I rented it. Uh, and, and I was told, okay, you can rent this, just make sure that you don't smoke in it, don't eat in it, keep it in perfect condition, and you can rent it from us. You know, while you're here in Las Vegas. Second day I have it is stolen. I don't want to tell the people that their beautiful Park Avenue is stolen. So being me and being out of my mind, as you know, I stopped taking my meds to make sure I'm really out of my mind. Get my hair razor cut, put on my beautiful double-breasted 
uh, Giorgio Armani suit. I look like Al Pacino Jr. I go to the taxi cab drivers and said, I want to know the gang leaders on each end of Vegas who would be in the chop shop stolen car market. You know, like my car was stolen. And they told me. And so I went to the first one, who was actually the closest, who was actually hanging out at the, uh, had a spot, St. Louis Manor. And uh, he's got two guys, two guard guys on the door. I walk up with a piece of red rope licorice in my mouth and I totally ignore them and put no energy in their direction at all and I walk right past them. And I hear one say the other, Nakarika, no, no, I said, Nakarika. <laughs> and I, I, I walk right in. The guy looks at me like, what the, you know, first of all, how did I get in? I look smooth as can be. I walk over, I sit down next to, not across from, next to. Look at him and I said, someone stole the wrong car. I'll tell you what. $200 for you to make the phone call, $50 for the guy who brings it back, and I promise you, nobody will do nothing. Bam, got the car back. You're lucky you weren't killed. Well, I look like, <laughs> you look like if they'd hurt me, um, you were going to be in a world of trouble. Around what time was this? This was 19, no, it would have been 2002. Well, that's a hard sell. I mean, if this was the 70s, it's easy to, to say that was a mafia boss car or, or a connected person's car. I didn't have to say it. I just looked it. Yeah. And I can be very convincing, especially when I'm out of my mind, <laughs> because I'm absolutely fearless. <laughs> I was I was wound up in the car with some notorious Vegas drug dealer, and I took his cell phone and threw it out the window. <laughs> and I mean, this guy was like twice the size I was, and he actually became afraid of me. <laughs> That's the same year that I won the Halloween costume contest by simply wearing a sports jacket and slacks. And I think I was about the only person who looked like he was white. I'm not, but I looked like I was. And he said, they said, what are you? And I said, I'm the scariest thing you could imagine. A middle-aged white man off his meds. And I won. A Jewish white man. Yeah. Who's probably crapping in his pants at the time <laughs> as he's talking to him. Yeah. Well, your the uncle was a criminal, wasn't he? Your uncle criminal, wasn't he? He was a, he was a CPA. Oh, a CPA. Same difference. He worked on the legal <laughs> side of the books. Oh, the legal side. Yeah, this is called. But one of his one of his tasks was to take the skim to Miami directly to Lansky with the books. Oh, well, good. I hope he, he takes some of my books, too. Years. I could use some sales. Everybody that was involved were sitting around a big round table at one of the uh, one of the big nightclubs at the time. And he, my uncle, was chatting up this really cute girl, and they're having fun, going off. And he, this was a time period where the, uh, the porter would bring a phone to you. Yes. And so a phone was popped in front of him. You have a call, Mr. Boyer. He, li he picks up the phone. The vo voice says, he didn't never found out who the voice was, but says, thank you. says, uh, Eli, that's Lansky's girlfriend. Say goodnight and go to your room. <laughs> I bet he said goodnight and went to his room. Yes. Yeah, I bet he did. Did you ever have oh. any run-ins with the mob there, uh, Fred? 
Oh, none that I'll talk about. <laughs> none that you talk none about. None that will keep me alive. Yeah, well, we want you to stay alive as long as possible. How come uh, the Kindle version is free? Well, is it free to over this? Pre- on Amazon. Is they having a the sale Kindle today or something? Oh, if, well, you belong, if you belong to Amazon Prime. Uh, yeah, I do. In that case, you could, as part of your subscription to Amazon Prime, you could get the book. Oh, excellent. Really? Yeah. Nice. It's a good deal. So yeah. That, that helps our sales. So is there any other, any other particular case that you can talk about that uh, would interest our audience? Well, there's so many great cases in the book. Well, let's pick one. So we have two minutes. Yeah, pick a nice. Pick one when you have two minutes. Yeah, pick a nice short one. <laughs> a nice short one. Um, How about the girl that was working as a hooker and uh, her dad's looking for her? I, I got a better one. All right, make it fast. These guys get together who want to cheat on their wives, and they got an organization or a company that says we'll cheat for you, we'll lie for you, and they set up a phone room when people would go out of town, they tell their spouses, I'm staying at the Hilton in Houston, and here's the phone number. And if the wife called the Houston with the phone number, they'd get the um, answering service. And she'd say, Hilton Hotel, <laughs> and they got caught, and the, one of the guys who was a multimillionaire lost like $35 million in, in the divorce because he had lied to his wife about where he was going and what money he had, what money he was spending. We came up with all that. And you know where the majority was? What? The majority of his money was in on his credit card. I've never seen that before. You don't show a balance, a positive balance on a credit card. He deposited the money on a credit card and it didn't show up. That's very clever. Fred, very was, clever. Uh, hey, it Fred. Was, it was fun talking fun to you. Fun talking with you. The book is called Secrets of a Hollywood Private Eye by Fred Wolfson. It's available right now in paperback and Kindle and coming soon in audio book. So buy it, read it, believe it. It's a great book. Wonderful book. Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Bill. You're welcome. Great fun. What a great guy. It's a Pearl. good book. Yeah. A Magic Man Allen on the Demons of Decadence, live from the Light of Lounge, on OutlawRadioLive.com. <laughs>